really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the podcast that brings you news, reviews, fantastic interviews, and so much more. You know, we're here for you 52 weeks out of the year, and you'll find frequent bonus pods sprinkled in here and there as well. So as always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan. I follow the game all over the globe. This week, of course, we'll be concentrating on Europe and the two great competitions that kicked off this weekend. Uh, the pod is a little bit late this week just because of the sheer volume of games to get through. But, you know, it's Monday night. I got my big fat mug of tea. But once again, for the second week in a row, I, I can't mention my Pats winning again, my, my beloved Patriots. But in this case, it's because they're on a bye week. But now the two conference champs must survive a harrowing bye week that no one enjoys. So if you would like to get in touch, I strongly encourage you to do so. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email. That address is the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. Drop me a line wherever and however you like. It's always great to hear from you. So we had a lot of rugby this weekend, obviously. Thus the slight delay in this pod being released. So sorry for that. Uh, thanks for coming along anyway. And let's just get stuck right in. So current updates for me personally, you know, in an unnerving development, there has been a, and continues to be a massive flu outbreak at the school where I work now. So two days in a row, more than 200 students have called out sick, along with 40 to 50 staff. Uh, so that my, my negative spin on this, I guess, uh, I work in a germ factory. Uh, positive spin, you know, you know what? They need me there now more than ever. <laughs> anyway, ugh. Seriously, can we all just get a break? Maybe, please, one of these days? Like, I just think we're all sick of being sick. It's stupid! People have to know! Yes, Isa, as far as it goes, it is good news. Uh, so on Friday, this past Friday, December 10th, Cardiff Rugby at last confirmed that the remaining six members of their squad were finally returning home from South Africa. So uh, these notes, as I wrote them, were from that day. So obviously things have progressed because it's going to be Tuesday by the time you hear this. But it was just too nice a thing not to pass along. So a traveling party of 42 left South Africa last Friday, December 3rd, after testing negative. But the other six had to isolate in Cape Town. Quote, one player has already arrived in the United Kingdom. Three are currently in transit and the remaining two individuals will depart Cape Town on Friday, unquote, Cardiff said in a statement on the club's official website. So while the club are pleased to repatriate the individuals, they must now enter a 10-day uh, period of isolation at a government-approved hotel, having already quarantined for 10 days at a South African COVID-19 facility. This is the ongoing quote. And uh, my side note here was, uh, clearly, the Welsh are still quite angry about the whole way this entire thing has unfolded. Going on to add, quote, this is a situation which impacts hundreds of people returning from red list countries who've already served a 10 day quarantine following a positive COVID-19 test. We are seeking clarification from UK government's department of uh, this is a funny department, I got to say, Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, the DCMS, 
as to why a second quarantine is required for the individuals in this unique situation. The main priority of Cardiff Rugby remains to support the health and well-being of our people, and we will continue to work alongside the relevant parties to deliver the best outcome, unquote. So I'm sure there will continue to be fallout from this debacle for, for months to come, maybe maybe a year or more, considering how slowly things move in rugby. And we can expect a lot of anger from all sides, really, including the South Africans who feel, I got to say, particularly hard done by as well. I heard some great arguments to that, that effect. Uh, I've no doubt the URC will be looking to put this entire escapade, uh, what do we want to call it, episode, get this whole thing behind them, get it firmly in the rearview mirror. And I hope, you know, because as a fan of the league, I just hope that the damage that's obviously been caused by this doesn't set in and become permanent. So thoughts of the week. You know, for a few weeks now, there's been a lot of buzz over the World Rugby Men's Player of the Year uh, or the selection there to that award. So I was not particularly surprised when the decision finally came down. It was either Thursday or Friday, and it named France and Toulouse scrum half Antoine Dupont Men's Rugby World uh, World Rugby Player of the Year. Not surprising at all. A statement read, quote, as scrum half and captain, Dupont has been at the heart of the French revival in 2021 that culminated in the final test of the Autumn Nations series being an historic 40-25 victory over New Zealand. Les Bleus, uh, their first wing over the All Blacks since 2009, came at the end of a year when Dupont lit up the Six Nations with his attacking play while also helping clubside Toulouse to the Champions Cup and a French top 14 double victory, unquote. Uh, said Mr. Dupont, uh, Monsieur Dupont, quote, <laughs> I'm so tempted to be like, uh, I think I've been uh, lucky enough to play in, uh, how you say, teams, but I'm not going to do that. That's rude. Uh, teams that have had good results, whether it is with Toulouse, with whom we had an extraordinary season last year with the double, and with the French team, even if I couldn't make it to the summer tour in Australia, he said, we had a good Six Nations tournament. We finished second again, and this tour in November and the victory against the All Blacks, that win will stay with me for a long time because it was the All Blacks, because the Stade de France uh, was sold out, and because we had our families and friends in the stands and had not been able to have them there at the Stade de France for a long time. It's all positive. In the middle of it, I was able to have a lot of fun, unquote. Good for you, Monsieur Dupont. It has been at least as much fun watching this past year. Very well-deserved. Great job. Okay, on to the reviews, and we're going to start with the Challenge Cup. So, last week, I did a little uh, sort of bonus preview pod, and in that one, I, I mentioned just how much I love the Challenge Cup, and, and that's true, but it's also true that I forgot a significant mitigating factor. So you see... With the French teams in particular, there's such a huge value placed on the success in their own league, the top 14. So, in other words, if your team has qualified for the Challenge Cup, the, the lower tier competition, it's very, very likely that you're just going to treat this tournament as basically rest weeks for the rest of the club. Like, so, in other words, in the Challenge Cup, you quite often come across, let's say, talent-reduced squads where inexperienced players, youngsters, academy players, and so on sort of make up the majority of the roster, while the big names are staying at home and resting in order to be better prepared when the top 14 gets back into action. So yeah, sometimes you get kind of a lopsided stinker. And uh, by the time it gets to the knockout stages, however, that aspect has gone away because uh, those teams have been eliminated. 
It also occurs to me, this might be why the EPCR doesn't broadcast the Challenge Cup uh, until later in the competition when it is at the knockout stages. Huh. In any event, I do still love it, but, you know, it's a, a bit of a minefield in the first few rounds, for sure. Also, I erroneously reported that the Challenge Cup matches would be available to stream, and I'm sorry to say, that is not true here in the United States. So, as always, I'm told you can use a VPN to access these these matches, but I've, you know, I've tried like three times unsuccessfully to do that with other tournaments and so on. I, I can't bring myself, I don't have the wherewithal to give it another shot. It's such a drag. So, unfortunately, I didn't actually get to see any of these fixtures. I went up and looked them up and, you know, went through the match details and so on. So, I can at least bring you the, the results and, you know, maybe a little something. Also, one cool thing is, I have found that, uh, or I should say, I found the gambling lines ahead of time for these matches. I don't care about the gambling part, but it at least gives me some sort of insight into how these teams are expected to perform, which when it comes to the French teams in particular, I just I just never know because I've never seen them for a whole year. And by the way, a couple of you have asked, my take is, I just, I couldn't care less about gambling. I'm not against it per se. Go ahead and gamble if you want but it just doesn't hold any interest for me at all. It seems like a, a pretty sure way to lose money over time. Like when all you have to do is take a look at a, a photo of Las Vegas and it's like, huh, did people donate that money or did they give it away by gambling too much? Anyway, uh, it's up to you. Go ahead. But I don't care. So on Friday, we had the first two fixtures in the Challenge Cup with Newcastle at home to face Worcester. With the home side Falcons expected to win by five, which blow me away, which is exactly how it unfolded. The final score was 31 to 26. Amazing when the bookies just nail it. Eh? Um, we also had Leon. They were at home facing Gloucester. With Leon heavy 12 point favorites, Gloucester gave them a better run than they thought, I would say, but still succumbed in the end. 19 to 13 was the final tally in that one. Then on Saturday, we had Zebre. They were hosting Biarritz. You know, Zebre found themselves big, 15-point favorites going into a match that they would end up losing badly, being doubled up by the visitors. It was 13-26. to 26. Not good times in Parma. Uh, and th the match I was most disappointed by a long shot, just to not be able to actually watch in its entirety, of course, was Saracens versus Edinburgh, with the home side expected to win easily by 10 points. Edinburgh were not in the mood, however, and they played a really scrappy match, scoring a late try to take a lead that they would not relinquish. In the end, defeating the series by three, 18 to 21 all told. Good job, Edinburgh. And then Perpignan played the Dragons. Dragons, again, even though visiting, they were favored to win big with an expected 12-point cushion. But again, the result was flipped on its head, Perpignan holding court to the tune of 22 to 6. Just a a bad day for Welsh rugby all around, I'd say. Dark months, dark days, dark dark year, maybe? Oh, it's not good in Wales. And finally, we had Poe at home for London Irish. The wayside was again favored, though only by three in this case, and they were more than up to that task. They smashed the home side by 16 points, 17 to 33 at the final whistle. Not good for Poe. Obviously, I didn't know what to expect, but uh, somehow I expected more than that. So also, I think I failed to mention in the preview pod, that the Challenge Cup, not every team plays in every round. And, you know, listeners, I have to admit, this entire 
thing. It's it's a little bit weirder than my recollection had me believe and uh, that I may have led y'all to believe. So we'll see. I still love it. Okay, and then the Heineken Champions Cup also kicked into gear on Friday. Uh, so, you know, prior to that date, it was already in the books. Bristol 28, Scarlet 0. That was already chalked off as a forfeit for Scarlet's. It gets listed in the books as, as I say, a 28-0 bonus point win for Bristol, who are, frankly, probably pretty grateful for the W at this point. And then in the actual action on Friday, Northampton were at home to face Racing 92. The Saints got absolutely hammered in this one. It just it never looked like they were in it. You know, when you look at the score, you'd assume it was all offense by Racing because they, they just scored so many points. But I would say their defense was at least as strong. They thwarted the hosts in every phase of the game. Just no space between any cracks for anything to take root. Racing looked incredible. And frankly, on a, a personal note, it was just pure joy for me to see Finn Russell just casually putting in another absolute belter. He must have had three or four just jaw-dropping passes just in this one performance. So he is to me, I finally realized, he is to me the logical successor to Dominic Wilkins' old nickname, the Human Highlight Reel. Let's give it to him now, can we? Dominic's retired. He doesn't need it anymore. Complete dominance by the French side. They just, they really laid down a statement of intent for this tournament. I have to imagine everyone else is standing up to take notice. So I know, I know, this is only the first game, but Racing 92, they look like a team bent on the finals, to me at least. The final, Northampton 14, Racing 45. And then on Saturday, of course, we had Cardiff at home to face Toulouse, the reigning champs. So obviously, this was a, just another absolute butt-kicking. But but somehow, you know what? It was still fun. Cardiff were forced to field you know, a nursery of players with just a litany of debutantes and academy players. And everyone in the building knew they weren't going to win. However, this sort of, I guess, lack of expectation led to... the. I would describe it as a feeling of freedom or looseness. It was like everyone felt so proud that they were able to get 23 people available at all, that it just already counted as a win. So everything good they did, no matter what, it was riotously cheered. The crowd were so good, showing their appreciation for every little thing, better than I've ever seen. It was just a love fest out there, despite the glaring scoreline. So I've just never seen people happier at a loss in my entire life. There was something really inspirational about it. Hats off to you, Cardiff. But of course, in the end, it was only seven points for the home team and 39 for the reigning champs. And then, meanwhile, back in the land of legitimate butt whoopings, Leinster completely demolished Bath. Seeing the scoreline you know, is deceiving if you watch the whole contest. It, it doesn't look like Bath were close to half. Uh, it, it was just never in doubt, you know. This wasn't even a top Leinster side. The club is dealing with a, another recent COVID outbreak. So much like with Racing 92, this just looked like, to me, a, a club planning to get themselves into a European final for sure. So at the full time, it was 45 to 20 at the Aviva. And then, oh, man, I got to take a breath here. Whew. Next, we had Bordeaux Begla at home to face the Leicester Tigers, the unbeaten in the prim Leicester Tigers. My word, what a match this was. Everything you could hope for as a fan, you got with this one. Incredible skill, drama, testiness, a seesaw score, amazing defense. Just everything you would expect between the two teams topping their respective divisions. <laughs> and 
possibly, I mean, apart from the amazing actual rugby, I have to say, did you see Harry Potter casting some sort of disappearance spell on himself? So Ben Lamb gives him a wee shove as he's going out of bounds. And Potter did that little thing where, you know, rather than just stomp on the little barrier they sometimes erect around the pitch, he sort of jumped over it. He was clearly falling for the optical illusion that there was actually, you know, ground behind that barrier. Even from the camera angle, it sure looked like it. It looked like you just hop over and just land on the ground. No, no, there was nothing there. No ground. It was just a, a trench. He basically does this little jump, goes over the barrier, and simply vanishes behind it. He just goes whoop, into the ground. It turns out there's basically like a drained moat on that side of the field for some unknown reason. And he ended up falling. I mean, I don't want to exaggerate. So five or six feet? Like, thank heavens he was all right. I was honestly, it was honestly incredibly frightening. Just for a few moments, players are rushing over the barrier and sort of looking over, and you can't see where they're looking. It's just this hole. Uh, but of course, in the end, he landed on his feet. He came away more bemused than hurt for sure. And on the replay, you guys got to look this up. Check out the faces in the stands as he disappears down the gulch. It's uh, it's worth five or ten rewatches at least. What It's incredible, just the faces. What a turn of events. I, I've never seen anything like that. In any case, uh, the game was back and forth. It was so tight. God, it had to have been the, the game of the weekend. In the end, Leicester did prevail. That's another win for them. I, I think they haven't lost since last June, they might have mentioned. So they squeaked away. A nice three-point victory. The end score was 13-16. to 16. What a match. Next up for me was Claremont at home hosting Ulster. And sticking with the theme of closely fought games, this one did not disappoint. With Ulster ecstatic to finally get Wayne Vermeulen out on the field in their uniform. That was the first time since signing him back in, I think, mid-September, if memory serves. So again, you know, very close from start to finish. And one of my favorite players, I've talked about him on this pod a lot, proving the difference. You know, I've inquired on this very pod why John Cooney never gets picked for Ireland. And his actions on the night seem to reiterate that question writ large. You know, a few years ago, I heard that he was interested in ascetic philosophers. And so I always imagine him going home after a match like this to like a bare room with like a thin, uncovered mattress lying in the middle of the floor. I may be off on that. I'm not sure. But in any event, my man... He was responsible for 19 of their 29 points. All told, Munster came away with an incredible win, 23-29 to in the end. Ooh, that was a good one. Next, eh, not so much fun. You know, like I said, the first round especially, it's always up and down. The Exeter Chiefs were at home to face Montpellier. I didn't know what to expect from Montpellier because I haven't seen them in at least a year. And, uh... Whatever I expected, it was certainly more than this. Uh, the, the Chiefs laid the smackdown big time, never once looking concerned, never letting up right to the end. They didn't do the like, ah, oh, well, we're up a whole lot. We might as well let in a try or two at the end. Nope. Tight the whole way. The away team you know, didn't even manage a single try, speaking of which, and if anything, it felt like it should have been a bigger margin in the end. You know, Yet another squad laying down a marker. I think I'm, I'm starting to run out of slots for the final in this competition, but... Yes, the final score for this one was 42-6 to six in favor of Exeter. And then on Sunday, we had Ospreys at home to face the Sales Sharks. You know, looking at these two uniforms, <laughs> and I feel like I'm pretty clever for this one. I was like, what do Ospreys look like? It's like they're either about to sell me some Girl Scout cookies, or they look like a sort of holiday-themed like coffee beverage. And then I realized, 
they're the pumpkin spice lost rays. And of course they were faced off against the be kind rewind sales sharks. Anyway, Sale spent the first half looking really good. Their defense was so tight. Ospreys couldn't get anything going. At the end of the first half, it was 3-21. to 21, And at that point, you're like, yeah, I know what the final score is. It's going to be 6-42. to 42. It seems obvious. But Ospreys did their best to claw their way back in. They got themselves to 13-21. to 21. It seemed like they had some more chances. They, right in the, the dying moments, they had several chances, and they just kind of squandered the ball. And by the way... 18 penalties to three for sale, and yet somehow they were ahead the whole way, and they, they did get a, a couple of yellow cards, but it feels like they kind of got one got away with something on the day. And, and by the way, another one of my, how are they even losing this stat in terms of the Ospreys? Prothero had 141 meters carried with just a couple minutes remaining in the, the, in the match, and the next closest player to him had 34, like not even a third, or yeah, less than a third. Anyway, Ospreys, as I say, they squandered many remaining chances, and the final was 13-21. to 21. Good game for, uh, for Sale. They must be happy to get a win. And it was good to see Lou Diaga back out there, by the way. And then, my boys, back in Galway. Connacht were at home for Stade Francais. At the beginning of this match, there was a massive audio malfunction uh, for the opening, I guess it was like 12 minutes, 14 minutes. So what it sounded like on my end was basically like, somebody had added an effect to the whole soundtrack to sort of simulate what in-stadium announcements sound like, that like that barking sort of metallic echo. I was sort of waiting for Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man speech or something to start. It was awful. But in the end, they did fix it. The next thing I wrote down was, uh, where's Bundy Aki? Because I didn't see him on the roster. He wasn't on the replacements. He was not on the field. And then all of a sudden they show him out of uniform on the sideline. And I'm like, oh, okay, he must be injured or something He's because he's cheering his butt off. And the comps say that he, that he was, quote, heavily involved in warm-ups, unquote, which was so much more mysterious to me. I still have no idea why he was not out there. If you know, please let me know. I, I could use it. In the end, they, they didn't really need him too much. Um, Connacht got a bonus tr- a try with uh, 10 minutes remaining to play. And I wrote, barring something entirely unreasonable, that should seal it for my boys. It was 26 to 9 at the point, at that point. But after full time had already expired, the Connacht got one more just to rub it in. It was their sixth try on the day and a convincing win for the home side. Even with Fitzgerald's poor conversion rate, it's Connacht with a convincing win, 36 to 9 all told. No try scored for, for the visitors at all. Whew. Things are getting dicey. Okay, we're getting down to the final three, and we had Wasps at home for Munster. Oh, boy, a ton of energy surrounding this one. Just the buzz in the play. That's not even a pun about the Wasps thing. So the way the Wasps have been improving, along with the depleted Munster side, I was just really looking forward to seeing how this one was going to play out. I, I just had no idea what to expect. I love it when Prem teams play URC teams, too, especially – when they're sort of heading in different directions, oh, this could have been anything. I I have to take a moment to appreciate the Wasps crowd. They haven't had a ton to cheer about recently, but there they are, cheering, as the comms pointed out, quote, absolutely every little thing, unquote, and that is absolutely true. It was a great atmosphere. This game was incredibly hard fought. It seemed like it was going to mirror the sort of Bordeaux versus Leicester match, but then the wheels kind of came off for Wasps. 
Wasps got red carded, but managed to take a lead anyway. It was seven to six. You still feel like, okay, this is super tight, super hard fought. The place was in full throated roar at that point. But then a try for Munster, then a yellow card for Wasps. So they had two men down. Not a great trade-off, by the way. Uh, tries for yellow cards, not not a good uh, trade-off. So with the two-player advantage, Munster got another try fairly comfortably, then score and convert another. Moments later, the same thing. At that stage, it was 7-32 to 32 for the visitors. Anyway, it was just done. A try and a pen later, respectively, and the boys from Limerick are away with a lovely result. It was 10-35. to 10-35? to 14-35. Sorry about that. Also... La Rochelle, they hosted Glasgow. Obviously, I was rooting for Glasgow. I had high hopes for my Warriors in this one, but in the end, the, the home team was just too much for them. They won out 20-13 to 13 at the final bell. Kyle Stain got himself a nice try right around the 50-minute mark, but it just wouldn't be enough in the end. When was the last time both Scottish clubs won on the same weekend? I'm really curious. If you know, you know, tell me. I'd be curious to find out. It's like they have an agreement or something. They're like, oh, dang, you played on Friday and you won? Okay, guess we got to lose on Saturday. And finally, and by the way, I'm writing this just before I actually watch this match because I really saved it, hoping for a cracker. So if it's dull, I might be setting myself up for, you know, to end this week with a whimper rather than a bang. But in any event, the last game of the weekend for me was Cast versus Harlequins. And side note for Northern Hemisphere fans, yes, both of you, Tyler and uh, Ardron, former captain of Canada, is on the pitch for cast. Très bien, no? Anyway, to get into the actual match. So, after a lot of talk by the comms about just how depleted Cast's team is going to be on the day, they ended up scoring first with a try that, honestly, it looked like, like Quinns thought they had all heard a whistle, and they just stopped playing. It wasn't even like, oh, wow, what an amazing tackle break. It was just, nope, that guy's not tackling him. Nope. That guy's not either, like, four or five times in a row. Harlequins, after the try, they're just all standing around looking at each other like, I thought you had him! It was totally bizarre. Massive mental lapse for a team this good. It was it was shocking. So, just as I was thinking to myself, wait, I haven't seen Joan Marler making an impact yet. Presto. There he is. So I clocked him watching the ref keenly over the first couple of, uh, 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 I should say, over the course of several rucks sort of early on. And I thought, is he just sizing up what he can or can't do, what he can or can't get away with? And then immediately after that, he gets a big carry, smashes a few defenders, wins his team another penalty, and in frustration, Cast kicked the ball away, angering the ref, marching them back another 10 meters. <laughs> in case you didn't know, we are big fans of Mr. Marler here at the Scrum of the Earth. I've actually reached out to him on several occasions just to see if he might join me here on the pod, but uh, he clearly has bigger fish to fry than myself. Anyway, as I say, a tight one with the score 11 to 7 at the half with Quinns adding another three, then adding a converted try in short order to put the home side under the gun at 11 to 17. The visitors added another pen, but then they made the mistake of subbing out Marler and almost immediately cast were in for a try. Yes, yes, I know that's not how that works. Please don't email me and tell me that I'm an idiot. I mean, you can you can do that anyway, but not because of this, please. Suddenly, with under five minutes remaining, it's 18-20. to 20. It's anyone's game. Incredible. Just a breathless ending with Cast threatening a drop goal for a potential win as the, the this last seconds are dying. All this, the Quinns players are screaming at each other. Watch for it. Drop goal. Drop goal. But then a crucial turnover for the away side. They re- regain possession with only seconds to play. They hang on to win by that slim two-point margin. 
French fans just raining down boos and jeers in their wake. What a match. What a weekend. Can you believe all of this is just the first round? Okay, that brings us to our weekly Diamond in the Ruck Award. Woo, there were a lot of options, a lot of contenders for the award this week. Obviously, Antoine Dupont, obvious contender. He was incredible in his match against Toulouse. Uh, Harry Potter, he made my shortlist simply for not dying in a moat. That, that was pretty impressive to me. And of course, Finn Russell is always a strong contender with me. God, that dude is made of magic. However, in a slightly more conservative move this week... In the end, our ultimate winner is going to go to George Ford of Leicester Tigers for steering his Tigers ship to a difficult victory in the south of France, slotting the winning points with less than four minutes to play. You know, on the day, he showed incredible poise and resiliency. With him calling the shots, it felt like an inevitable Leicester victory, even when the score was against them. So George Ford, for your unshakable leadership, for your consistently reliable top-notch play, as well as for keeping your team undefeated on the year. I believe they said it was last June, last time they actually lost a match. You are the recipient of this week's prestigious and coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. Congratulations, my friend. Okay, and we're on to our previews. So... Yet another enormous weekend coming up for rounds, starting with the continuation of the Challenge Cup on Friday. Toulon, reigning champions, again, will be at home to face shocked Zebre, who probably aren't expecting a victory this time. Dragons will be at home for Lyon. Gloucester will be back at home to face Benetton. On Saturday, the Worcester Warriors will host Biarritz, who must be just aglow with their underdog victory this past weekend. And, of course, Poe will face Saracens. Oh, they'll be facing Saracens. Ooh, that's going to be tough for them. And then on Sunday, London Irish versus Breve. I have no idea if Breve are, are good or not, but we're starting to realize that London Irish are pretty good. Okay, and then over in the Heineken Cup Champions Cup action, we will have, on Friday, Montpellier hosting Leinster. We'll have Ulster versus Northampton. On Saturday, Harlequins will be back at home to face Cardiff. Who knows what kind of team Cardiff will be able to field, but either way, it sounds like the vibe will be good. Woeful Bath will be back at home. Not that it'll do them any good against La Rochelle. Sale will be at home for Claremont. Racing 92 will be hosting the Ospreys. Glasgow versus Exeter. Munster versus Cast. And then on Sunday... Leicester will be at home for Connacht. Obviously, I would like Connacht to win, but it, it looks like 11 in a row for Leicester to me. Scarlets will be hosting Bordeaux-Begle. Toulouse will be facing Wasps at home. And Stade Francais will be facing Brive. Oh, so many matchups. I am just, I'm exhausted. But you know what? At the same time, I can't wait to get back to it. It's, it's almost Tuesday, and I'm like, when is Friday here? What a great time of year for the Ruggers. Okay, well, that's going to do it for this week. You know, as always, thank you so much for joining us. If you feel like getting in touch, you know, I would love to hear from you. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram, and you can always just send me an email if you prefer. I love it either way. 
If I can prevail upon you to leave me a nice review, that would go a long way towards helping me grow the pod, and that would be fantastic. So I hope you enjoyed the first round of European rugby. I know I did. Until next time, everybody, all over the world, cheers. Talk to you soon, and be well. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I was being sarcastic. I'm unlucky. I may be the unluckiest man on the face of the earth. I have a disease so rare they named it after me. Yeah, lucky me.